Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And hello uh, to anyone who's listening to this uh, asynchronously and whatever time zone you find yourself in, lovely to be studying Torah with you. Um, let's jump in. I believe that we read chapter 7, verse 18, but have not yet done the Rashi's on it. Or the Rashi, is there one on one Rashi? We're going to spend a, a good amount of time on this verse, so I hope that you like it. Mostly because there's some, there's an interesting word that um, is worthy of, of um, worthy of exploration. Okay, so um, I want to make sure that when people, hmm, people in the room don't need to see me that big. Remove the spotlight. I want it to be that every speaker is heard. Okay, there we go. Um, all right, let me read verse 18 to get us going, and then we'll look at the Rashi's and some other commentaries, okay? Um, as we mentioned last week, um, this is all part of the prediction of what's going to happen when the first plague happens. It's not the actual first plague. The Hadaga Asher Bayaor, the fish right or the or the marine life you want to say because it's it's not referring to a single uh salmon right the fish shared by or that are in the river tamut will die right so because the, whatever word is being used for the fish is a singular female noun it gets a singular female future verb tamut obviously we're talking about the deaths of many animals uva'ash or the um river will become stinky the Egyptians will do something, a verb that is very hard to translate easily. We'll spend some time on it. They will blank to drink water from the river. If you were just if you were just using intuition to fill in the proper English word, what would be the blank verb? The Egyptians will avoid, avoid be loath to. Be a, be loath to not be able to not be able to. We we get what the Torah is trying to say that as a result of the first plague, the Egyptians will not be able to drink water from the from the river. But the question is, why does the verse say that? Why does that uh, word mean that? Is there another chair over there, Sue? There's one right yeah. in front. We're back in here. Uh, if you come late, you got to sit next to the teacher. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, okay. So again, we know what the context is, but we're we're studying this uh, material not just for general understanding, but for precise understanding of why the Torah uses certain words and what it's trying to denote. Okay. Um, and I think that's kind of where we left off last week. We did not yet read the Rashi on Vanilla Mitzrayim. We're good. Thank you so much, Hector. Okay, uh, Rick, your hand is up. Yeah. Hi. I. Um... I heard that Tova was here. I just wanted to ask, was the the Nile uh, purification thing, was that a once a year thing or was it once a month? Did, did she know about that? I, I wanted to ask her. Um, what, what are you referring to? I mean, well, the, the ceremony of uh, Pharaoh going to the Nile and raising up the water and, and, uh, and doing his incantations and all that and and then uh, everybody would be happy. Um, the, the, there was a, it was a ceremony to uh, raise the Nile. So I, I, I was waiting for you to come back to class to ask you 
if yeah. you knew um if you knew if it was an annual thing or a quarterly thing or monthly thing or i think it was actually both if you will uh the part of the daily <clears throat> obligations of the pharaoh were rituals where he intercedes with the gods to preserve the structure of the world like we talked about that to renew each day the work of creation to prevent the return of chaos and that also involved Nile, but there were also rituals that he performed at the peak of the inundation of the flooding. So there were also yearly rituals that were associated with the Nile. And it wasn't the term purification, it wasn't purification, it was that the order of the world could be maintained and the flooding of the Nile was part of that order. Thank you. Okay, so, um... I'm trying, I'm thinking out loud if I want to read the Rashi first or read um, parallel translations first. Um, let's read some parallel translations first. Uh, I'll put some of them on the screen that Safari has, and then I'll call on uh, if Leonard or Larry have ones that we don't have on the screen, that would be fine. So hold on. No, that's not it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, the one on the screen. Um, this is, I can't see. This is uh, Everett Fox. The fish that are in the Nile will die and the Nile will reek. And the Egyptians will be, the verb he chooses is unable. Unable to drink water from the Nile. Okay? Uh, that's at least one of the answers I think that Rick said unable there. JPS, the Egyptians will find it impossible. Same basic meaning, different English. I'm not going to give you the Torah Shara because he incorporates Rashi, and I want to read the Rashi on the inside. Horan. Uh, and Mitzrayim shall no longer be able to drink the water. Okay? Matsuda. The Egyptians will weary themselves. Uh, I shouldn't have uh, done this one because it's getting me some of the Rashi. Will weary themselves drinking water from the river. And the reason why Mitsud or anyone would use the word weary is that I think we may have looked at this briefly last time. The root, Lamed Olive Hay, has to do with weariness. So I think that's this. Yeah. Okay. So look at the BB on Lamed, Lamed Olive Hay. And his first translation of the biblical root is, and Lamed Olive Hay is the source of the Nifal verb, Vinil U. Well, it, it means to be weary, to be impatient. Uh, in the Arab, Arabic cognate, la'a, to be slow or to be hesitating. And then uh, after that, this notion of after difficulty. And I think this extends to the next page. Um, to be weary in a vain endeavor. Okay? So that's why some of the translations of our verse reference not just an inability, but a fatigue. I'll show you one more. Saperstein also says we will grow weary. Yeah, and Saperstein is always in, impacted by Rashi's translation of it in, uh, itself. We have Charlotte. Um, I won't show you that one well, even though I already did. Okay, um, so let me just pause there. Uh, or Leonard or Larry, do you have any interesting translations in front of you? Not so interesting. Um, Alter has will not be able to drink the water from the Nile. Okay. And Kaplan has the Egyptians will have to stop drinking water from the Nile. I mean, that's interesting in that it's very different, right? Have to stop. Yeah. 
Again, the impact is the same, but the, the English words have to stop is very different than weary from or unable to, right, Barry? Uh, weary themselves trying to purify. Okay, yeah. So that's well, that's that's the Rashi. So let's let's jump to the Rashi. Well, Leonard, is your hand up? Yeah, just to say that it says here the Egyptians will find it impossible to drink the water of the night. Find it impossible, Sue. Um, it it's the grow weary. It's not you wouldn't grow weary from from drinking the foul water. You you'd either not be able to do it. So that makes more sense. Whatever Rashi is going to say. Right. So R Rashi Rashi is is attuned to the fact that the verb nil u has to do with weariness. But if but it's very hard to read through, as you say, in in a phrase that makes sense in his brain in Hebrew or French and our in our brain in English. That they will grow. What's the exact phrase? Then you'll, they will grow weary from drinking. They will grow weary to drink. There needs to be a connecting idea, Stevie. Yeah, I would. I, I really like the. Uh, I forgot what, what, what it was just now, but um, his, the yeah the lishto my uh, I would expect if you're gonna you know shoehorn the word weary in there, it's that they sort of put up with drinking the water for so long and uh, then they'll stop, right? Like that they can, uh, they're only willing to tolerate this a little bit and they, they you know, they're uh, fed up with it. Unless we're going to agree with Rashi that there's a concept missing, I think that's the best possible rendition of Pshat, right? That the weariness will come from contending with having to drink foul water. Right. So Rashi doesn't go that way. But I think if you just want to use only the words in the verse, I think that's probably the, the closest to Pshat. Um, let's look at Rashi and then we'll, we'll we'll kind of we're not going to vote on it, but we'll we'll see the possibilities. So I don't know. Uh, Norm, do you want to read the Rashi? Hold on. Okay. Uh, Okay, so he Rashi adds in in seven Hebrew words an entire story that doesn't really appear in the in in the verse. What does he say? What will they grow weary from? They were trying to solve the problem. They were trying to seek a cure so that it would become uh, potable again. Exactly, um, and they wore themselves out trying to come up with a solution to. Trying to convert blood into water. Correct. Potent potables for a, a thousand, please, Alex. Anyone? No? Okay. So to do it phrase by phrase, some, you know, sometimes Rashi will give you a Dibora Malchil and then his commentary will begin his own sentence. Sometimes he wants you to read through from the Dibora Malchil. So he wants you to read here, Vinil Umitsraim Levakesh Refuah Lemeor. They will become weary from requesting healing for the waters of the river, so they would once again be potable, as Norm said. So the fatigue is not coming from, as Stevie suggested, according to Rashi, from having to contend with drinking stinky water, but all the davening they had to do to try to undo the first plague. And by the way, remember, I, I'm using past tense, but it's really future tense because it hasn't happened yet, right? It, it will happen, God predicts, that they're going to be so fed up with the stinkiness of the water that they're going to have to pray and pray and pray and pray to undo it, and it'll all be in vain, right? And therefore, the, the impact on them, it's weird. The impact on them, the way Rashi describes it, is less the absence of water and more the fatigue from overexertion, right? Uh, Tova, and then, I sorry, Rick, I didn't see your hand before. 
an, an interesting sidelight of a little bit louder. An interesting sidelight of that translation would be they become weary of attempting to intercede to pray to cure the waters. That in itself is going to undermine their beliefs, undermine their the uh, the things that they rely on, which includes Pharaoh, of course. Uh, so in a sense, it, it's it's undermining their false beliefs and their idolatry. Great, I, and I think that we're going to see this pattern throughout. We saw this pattern in Rashi when we were in the Yaakov Esav story and in the Ishmael story, that Rashi is going to read the verses in such a way to amplify the gap between our experience of the divine and theirs, right? God speaks and it happens, right? God speaks to Moshe, miracle happens. They are going to tire themselves out in vain trying to get their gods to change nature so that they can't do, right? And that's not necessarily in the verse, but to Rashi that fills out an image of the Egyptians like it's you almost have have Rahmanas on them. They 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 think that their gods can do something, they can't, and they're gonna they're gonna be dead with no breath from have, from trying. Please, please, gods, do something to over, overdo the, overdo overturn this god's uh, enactment. Um, Rick and then Sue. Hi, uh, two things. Number one. I was in the wrong place. I was at verse 21, and it starts the same way. Same hadaga, same hasher bayor. It's there it says meta instead of tamud. And then velo yachlu mitraim. That's what I was looking at when I said they won't be able to. Right. So I was I was in the wrong place. But I I was wondering why Rashi wouldn't quote that verse in describing what the vanilu is here. That's that's one. The second one, there's a footnote in Silverman I just wanted to share. Um, uh, the Egyptians wearied themselves to drink the waters is an impossible translation. Rashi therefore takes it as a constructio pregnans. Of course he does. Which, which, which must be Latin. But I just like, uh, uh, it was, it's like a pregnant construction, like there's something more coming out of it i don't know i don't know latin in the sense that they wearied themselves in their attempts to heal the waters yeah. but i i wanted to share that latin there tractio pregnans that's a first cousin to half hacks legamenon yeah <laughs> sue once removed yeah of course uh sue and then larry diane well i have two things um one is how long could they go with the river being you know, with the Nile being ruined, they can't go very long, right? I mean, if we have our water source contaminated, we're in big trouble, sort of immediately. Wait. And there's no, they have no solution to no, it, right? I mean, and you know, dying fish doesn't get cleaned out right. immediately. I imagine they don't have whatever. Right. I mean, they're in big trouble. They're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, and it's only the first of 10. And That's it's only right. the first yeah. of 10. And it was- well, How do you know? It's- yeah. <laughs> This is we're reading it for the first time, Joel. And the other thing is just a a, a, a little personal story. I have a, a, a custom of having lots of Pesach shtick, and um, there was at one point I decided that well, how what we were going to do for for this plague is I I I sent an aunt to the grocery store to get the stinkiest cheese she could find, the stinkiest. And I put it in paper cups and I covered it with tinfoil and I poked holes in it. And when we got to this, we we passed around these cups of stinky cheese and everybody was supposed to take a whip. And I had 
all the children gagging and and preparing to throw up and running from the table on the whiff of stinky cheese. Now, forgive me if you love stinky French cheese, but I knew how this was going to fly with my crowd and the kids especially. And it reminds me of how horrific this is. A, it's it's definitely a, a, a horror like they can't drink it. They can't yeah. drink that water. They yeah. can't use it. There have been also interesting social experiments of like foodstuffs dyed a color that we that we don't think of being willing to drink, but nothing else like milk dyed black. People cannot drink it, even though it's just benign food coloring yeah. or food that that an odor has been added to, but a totally benign in terms of one's health. It's it's very it's very hard to get that down. Yeah, right? that's not it's not a nothing. And right. Right. Um, OK, Larry, Diane, and then I want to look at uh, a super commentary on Rashi with you all. First of all, I'm thinking of the people in Ukraine below the dam that's 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 um, been breached, and just to said reminds me of that. Rabbi, you said something that I'd like to discuss at some point, probably not right right now, when you said you almost can have I don't you didn't say empathy but sympathy for the Egyptians. I don't know why you said almost. Because there is a question that at some point, maybe Rashi addresses, and we can address at some point, which this is an example of the plagues were directed at the Egyptian people. Yeah. But the, they, they should have been addressed uniquely at Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And so the people were suffering because of Pharaoh. And there is a question about the morality of addressing um, military operations, which is what this was a form of, at the people who are not participating, who are innocent civilians and not even part of an army. Yeah. Yeah, I, I retract the almost. I wasn't uh, putting that sentence out in a, in a lecture on the morality of asymmetric <laughs> warfare, but but within Rashi's content, con comment, I was saying that it's sort of pitiful to imagine them praying to, not realizing that they're praying to gods that are helpless, at least in our version of the story. That's what I meant. Obviously, I have Rahmanis for the actual for for the actual um imaginary Egyptians who were <laughs> who were experiencing some version of these plagues. Yeah. Um okay. Tova. Just a quick question. Um I know later uh the Torah is specific about, for instance, with um the, the slaying of the firstborn, uh, that the Israelites were exempt from that. It's not at all clear here that the Israelites are exempt, that they don't also experience this. And what is the tradition relating to that? Hmm. I'm not sure. Everyone, is everyone on Zoom here, Tova? Oh, good. Uh, right. Yeah. So one would think that unless the Torah specifically says that the plague was not impacting the Israelites' experience, when it comes to water source for the entire Egyptian basin, how could they avoid the impact of that? I don't have a good answer to it. I'm sure Midrashim exists on it. Um, I'm sure there are Midrashim that just find a way to either, either through a hook in the verse or without a hook in the verse, uh, say, don't worry, the Israelites were fine. Um, I wonder if some of the commentaries make use of the fact that there's a tradition that the Israelites lived like close, but not as close, right? Not 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 right there. So, you know, that that maybe that the um there were laser strikes on aspects of the Nile, not the entire Nile. But you're right. There what we're about to experience over a long period of time in the pace of our class is all of Egyptian society uh being um sundered by these plagues. 
and the Israelites were embedded within them. Yeah. <laughs> Rashi will get to a few of them, but he's not going to do it on each one. Yeah. All right. I want to show you a super commentary on Rashi. Um, second. It's in the Safari. Uh, it's in Safari, but I'm going to put it on the screen. Uh, this is the Gur Aryeh, which is the Maharal of Prague's commentary on Rashi. And we've already kind of discussed this, but I wanted to see it inside because Rashi is as terse and almost as lacking phrases as the verse he's commenting on. So when he says, and you read that, and if, if, you, if you haven't picked up on what Rashi is dealing with the verse, you might say, well, why would he say that? There's nothing about begging forgiveness or uh, begging for healing from the water. The Gorai says here on the right side, deem locane. If you don't, if Rashi were not to understand it, that they were begging for healing, and if Rashi had not heard Stevie's comment, lo shayach vinilu. The word vinilu, that they grew weary, it just wouldn't apply here. Mipnei ki lashon vinilu. The word vinilu, it refers to someone who wears him or herself out with exertion. That wouldn't make sense here. Ella, unless they wear, they they made themselves weary with the with the exertion. They were trying desperately to ask for the water to be healed. Right. So we went there, but I wanted you to see someone going there directly on Rashi because Rashi doesn't explain why he's saying what he's saying. He just says what he says. Okay. Um, there was one more I wanted to share with you. One second. Is it this one? No, that's later on. Rabbi, yeah, I know. Hold on one second. Um, okay. Uh, before I, I'm, unless you just saw that quickly, can anyone think of a place in the Torah, and this is a hard question, where this verb, vinyl-u, that root is used? Any Torah readers out there? Look at the screen again. Reishit 19, the story of Lot. Okay. Um, look at verse 10. The men who were kind of banging on the door inside where Lot's daughters were uh, extended their hands. Uh, they brought Lot into the house. They closed the door. And the men who were clamoring outside the house, they struck with a word that no one has any idea what it means. It's translated here as dazzling light, but I remember when I we when I hit this verse, it's probably one of our first months here because I think I began with the binding of Isaac, and this is later on in that parsha. Mikaton uh, v'argadol, the younger ones from the greater ones. Vayilu, there's our verb. Limsohapatach, they blanked to find the door. Now, if you were to put insert a blank here, similar to your instinct to how you would insert it in our verse, would be they were unable to right. They were they were they. Were, they were so disoriented and discombobulated, they couldn't find the door, right? Look what Rashbam says here. This is Rashi's grandson. Perusho velo yachlu od limso hapatach. I, Rashbam, translated the verb velu as simply being unable to. It doesn't go to the direction of fatigue. Velo bikshu hapatach. They weren't successful at, 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 uh, at finding the door. V'chein. And, and similarly, he quotes our verse, just like the Egyptians were not able to drink water from the, from the 
river, which means that Rashbam is disagreeing with his grandfather. That's okay. They were not able to drink. Because it had been turned into blood. And then it's, it, you, you understand through the end of the, of the context of the story that they weren't able to drink the water. In many places, the word nil'u mikufal. What does he word mean by the word mikufal? Mikufal is from the root kaf pela, which means to double. He means an intensifier, like it, almost like very, like very, like 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 really, really, really. And he gives us a verse, kamo, the verse from this is in Jeremiah twenty nine, eighty kalkel lo ochal, that. Um, he, how is he translated? I was not only unable to restrain, I was totally unable to restrain. So the vinilu is kind of like an intensifying or a multiplying of the feeling of the verse. <clears throat> so according to Rashbam, on this verse in Parshat Vayera and our verse in Parshat uh, uh, Vayera, well, that's interesting, Vayera and Vayera, uh, it has nothing to do with fatigue, it has to do with being utterly unable to, right? Um, so we've got three possible, at least three possible translations on the table. We have Rashi's, they were asking for healing. We have Stevie's et al. They were fatigued from the from having had to deal, or they will be fatigue, fatigued from having to deal with stinky water. At some point, you can't drink anymore, or the Rashbam route. It just means very, very unable to do something. Okay, uh, Barry. Uh, another word might be exasperated which is beyond physical, yeah. it borders on psychological. Yeah, right. Very good. Uh, Tova, Rosemary, and uh, Rick, was your hand up again or still? Are you good? Um, it's just building what Barry said the same thing. I was thinking unable to the point of despair, mm. that it, it has, that the psychological component is really important. Because yeah. It's not just, oh, can't do that, but Totally. I mean, yeah. Right. So it renders it infectious. Your... Mm -hmm. Good. And that links etymologically inability and fatigue, right? When yeah. when yeah. someone who is clinically depressed say, says, I can't get out of bed, yeah. they mean it, right? right? They're not meaning that their legs don't work, but there's a certain emotional overwhelming fatigue and they cannot do it, right? That moment. Rosemary, was your hand up? Um... Uh, I will go to two things. First of all, we are just looking from drinking point of the water. But if we take sociologically or economically in Middle East and in uh, Egypt, it's not water, it's not only drinking, it's everything. Mm. It's life thing. Yes. They are washing their dishes in, they are dressing up, they are taking bath, they are eating the fish, they are drinking water, they are... Um, and the communication is on the Nile is with uh, and it's everything. A, and so it's a para divinity, right? I think the prayer we read, uh, Dayenu, we should read it before the Ten Commandments, <laughs> the Ten Plagues. Yes. Because um, the first the first time that starts that we started reading in 15, uh, God says um, to Moses to go to the Nile. It's making um, Pharaoh vulnerable because he's not in his position that mm. is somebody which is weak. He has his uh, uh, baton, which is the uh, show of power, of presence of God's power. And he has already shown the snake. And now it's the water, it's the entire economy of uh, Egypt has gone destroyed. Yeah. And it's not going to be good because 
I know in not, I was looking at the name in English, Euphrates and uh, the other river in um, Iraq Tigris. and in Syria, Tigris. They were both like that during the genocide of Armenians because they killed the people they threw in the river. And finally, it's the farmers who were complaining because the water was um, stinky already. Yeah. The bodies were coming out and they irrigate their uh, agriculture from that. Mm -hmm. And if we take the fish, which is um, feminine, it shows they, there won't be life because mm -hmm. the feminine is going to have the eggs. So there's everything is destroyed. So if Pharaoh uh, was in, uh, intelligent, he would say Dayeno, and that was all he would give up. Wonderful, Rosemary. You know, one of the ways of looking at the apparently there are going to be 10 plagues, uh, Joel gave, <laughs> gave it away, um, <laughs> is that, you know, some people see it as a. As a, as a kind of a constant intensification, you know, start with something inanimate that is that is plagued, and eventually you get to the the direct death of the firstborn. There's some who say it not as 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 a, kind of a ramping up, but almost like a chiasm, because um, plaguing the Nile in some ways is more of a comprehensive uh, assault on Egyptian society than quote unquote just killing the firstborn males, right? Because it, not, nothing in society, ancient Egyptian society could live if the Nile actually became what we're saying it's going to become. Uh, I see Barbara's hand and then Rick's hand. Um, I think uh, the last comment was from was really good and I, but I wanted to extend on it. And that is that the Torah actually says the fish will die. And it doesn't comment on all the other things that I think uh, are going to happen, right? And it's amazing to me that that it's not commenting further that the fish will be a major thing probably for these people. They probably use the fish more than they used cows and stuff like that. But I could be wrong on that. Mm -hmm. And if they lose their main edible source, that's a major problem for them. Correct. Thank you, Barbara. Rick, and we're going to go to the next verse. <laughs> Only because you brought up the psychological uh, part of things. So it's coming up, uh, but it's in between the prediction and the actual happening. So the Ene Faro and the Ene Avadav, I, I, I compare it to like the, the spies going into the land where in their eyes, they were like grasshoppers. Hmm. But they weren't really grass. We're not really grasshoppers, just feeling like they were grasshoppers, but they weren't really. So uh, in, in verse 20, coming up, and only because I was in the wrong place, <laughs> the Ene Faro. So it is, it is uh, uh, attacking him first, and then Ene Avadav, their image of the Nile and all that. And secondly, just to respond to Larry about the um, the morality of attacking the people too. Well, they were the slave owners too. It's like the Civil War. If Abraham Lincoln just went after Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee, no, they had to go after the whole country because all of them were slave holders, and they they wouldn't want to give up their slaves. So it, it, it's the whole society. That's just one take on it, but. Um, I just wanted to point out the AMA part. Thanks. Clash, should we take a vote on how many times Rick can read ahead before getting a, a formal reprimand? Is it, is it, is it, is it I forgot, was it number eight, 11? <laughs> I don't know about soon enough, but I, I know we'll get there. Accidentally reads ahead. 
Accident. Yeah. Likely story. Okay. Let's speaking about ahead. Let's jump ahead to verse 19. Uh, Alan, do you want to read verse 19? Sure. Okay. Okay. Because of all the uh, plural endings in this verse, right? The narotam yorehem agmehem mehem eitzim avanim. It ends up being a. I find it a challenging uh, verse to lane, um, and but it has a certain lyricism to it also. Okay, see so if you can translate. Right. And uh, and God said to Moses uh, that uh, Aaron will say and more El Aharon. Oh, uh, and more and said to to Aaron, take uh, your stick and you know stretch your arm on the waters of Egypt, on their rivers and Yerahem, their streams. Well, Agmehem, their other bodies of water. Clearly didn't go to camp on the East Coast. The Agam, the lakes, the lakes yes. The lakes. Agam. 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 Also, they seem in the trees and their stones. Good. Just when you translate it by you down, there will be blood in those four English words. I wondered if that Daniel Day Lewis movie is related to this it. verse because I can't think of it's not direct connection, but it does seem like a nice rendering of a you down. There will be blood. Um, okay, good. Uh, just a couple of things to point out on the on the words. Neteyadcha. Um, how did you translate neteyadcha? Uh, stretch your hand. I Good. It seems to stretch like to to note is to is to turn or tend in a certain uh, direction. Interesting. Uncleus translates it as lifting because he says in the Uncleus in the Aramaic tul chutrach, which means take up your stick. The arim yadidach and lift your hand. Why he turns the te into a lift, I'm not sure, uh, but it's just an interesting choice. Nitilat is nun tetlamid. Not nun tadhe. Uh Then lalamid. I mean, again, there are two letter roots that are core roots, but in the verb nitilat yadayim, the lamid is um, is part of it. Uh, and what isn't that to raise nitilat to raise your hands to draw out really right? So some people are very makpid that you don't say you don't say the bracha. You you say the bracha as you're about to like. We don't really draw our hands out of it because we pour it over, but like after like. After you've kind of wet them before you bring them up to be dried, because the the nitila, the the, the ancient image of nitila yadayim would not have been with a with a with a cup, but some kind of a like a spring of natural water, and you put your hands in, and you, as you drew them up, that was the drawing out of the hands. Well, it's the same with nitila lulav, though. Correct. You're you're, you're 
taking I it I thought it was like raising it up in the bracha and you mm-hmm. said before you actually do the lifting, I thought it was the same thing before raising your hands for the tilat It's really not about raising, it's about drawing out, removing, interestingly. Ah, yeah. I at, at least etymologically, right? Um, how did you handle, uh, remind me, the, the alcohol mikveh mimehem? Uh, and why do we think that word is used? Uh, I, I said about all of the uh, all of their waters in mikveh, well, mikvah is the mikvah, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> why does mikvah mean mikvah? What does the word mean? A collection, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is, I think, very intentional on the Torah's part. We talked about this: how Parshat Noach is an undoing of creation. This is a second undoing of creation. So in the creation story, it's the mikveh hamayim that was gathered together so that the waters would be distinguished from the land. And now God is smiting the very things that God put into position the first time. Not you know, if there's anybody water that's not a nahar, a yor, or an agam then any other mikveh, any other gathering of water, puddles, right? The smallest and largest things um, that also got smitten, okay? Yeah, I'm puzzled on something, Rabbi. Yeah. We've always been taught that it was, this was going to be reading the the Nile with blood. And here, it's much more than the Nile. It's all the adjacent streams. It's all the, it's like all water. It's like all the water system. The the entire water system. So one of the things that we talked about before that, again, Tova can give us more context on, all of the water of that part of Egypt is systemically connected to the Nile. Because the rainflow is so small it's the it's the nile overflowing its banks that creates the the, the possibility of potable water and uh, ag- ag- uh agricultural irrigation is that yeah. accurate yeah. yeah right no that's actually what i was thinking when i was reading it um that, yeah they it does all derive from the nile and they did they had very elaborate ag- irrigation systems it overflowed the banks but they also had holding ponds that would retain water when it when the, when the inundation went down and the, and the fields were all ready to be seeded and they had uh, channels, you know, to, to bring water in. So they created lakes, if yeah. you will. They yeah. created little rivers and streams Amazing by that process. Yeah. But, then, but then the impact... Yes, yeah. absolutely. Then the impact of this plague is even more horrific than initially thought because it's not just the one Nile, which Correct. is like the bulk of it, but even... In all the other areas and all the small towns, everything that are away from the Nile, they're going to be. If the LA River got turned into blood, people like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Barry and then Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) What does the blood signify? What does the blood signify in Egyptian culture? That's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to it. I mean, nothing particular is coming up. They they had blood sacrifices. Um, nothing specifically about blood. Yeah, I mean, my guess would be, as with us, it, it represents life. Okay. But I, I, I honestly don't have. It. I can answer something in the Middle East. They do when they do sacrifice, like the lamb. Then they take the hot blood and they give mm-hmm. to children to eat, drink because they say it's healthy. I mean, the person who does the sacrifice. Uh, and a second, Larry and Diane, but just a plug. So either in 2024 or 2025, depending on the order of things, when we finally do the Temple of Atham, Abraham Accords trip plus Egypt, we'll be able to view some of these, uh, you know, waterways. Okay, Larry, Diane. 
I'm beginning to feel like it's my responsibility to point to the stage directions, which are missing. Okay. Before I read this verse, should have said, end of scene. We've got a huge transition here. Correct. Now we're, we're no longer having <clears throat> God predict what's going to happen. But now yep. it's happening. <clears throat> and there's a lot of repetition. Um, I'm not going to say that I read ahead because I don't want to get rep reprimanded. But <laughs> we should pay attention to the repetition of what's happening and the differences in terms of what's happening, which you've already pointed, pointed out here. It suggests to me, and I haven't studied this at all, but that, in fact, another example of stitching together of various accounts. Yeah, so so thanks for all that, um, uh, including the, 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 the hard break between the end of verse 18, the beginning of verse 19, moving from predictive narrative to we're in real time, it's happening. Um, and all the, listen, every place in the Torah, we could do interesting and almost endless comparisons between what is said that is going to happen and how it happens, and either choosing to read in or not to read into overlaps or um, or omissions. And there's always lurking the possibility, depending on the lens through which one reads this text, of, of stitching, of human stitching, of stitching together of ancient narratives that came into one singularity. Yeah. Um, I want to point out one one second, Rose. I want to put out one interesting thing in the Aramaic because I just I I, I just find it I just find it interesting. So look, find the uncleus. I think everyone when I reference the uncleus, is anyone using a text that does not have the uncleus? Because if so, then I would always put that on the screen. I think everyone has it right there. Um so Arim Yadach Almaya, lift your hand onto the water, Dimitrium of Egypt, on Naharehon, their rivers, Al Aritehon, that's his version of Yeor, uh, their other sources or other river like things, Al Agmehon on their waters, the Al Kol, Beit Knishut Mehen, all the synagogues of their waters. No, not synagogues, but it's a reminder that Beit Knesset does not mean a synagogue it means a gathering place a place where people are coming are, are coming in so it's interesting he just i don't think he's being wink winky or he's just like that that's the aramaic word for mikvah in a sense because what is mikveh is a bringing in of waters into one place that's what a synagogue ought to be and it's become commonplace to translate synagogue as bakeness and bakeness as a synagogue but what it means is a place that people have come into okay that's with a shin rather than a sama. Interchangeable. interchangeable. Yeah, and... correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, is there a hand up? R Rachel. I just wanted to add in that it hadn't occurred to me before that the, the water being blood disrupted every crop being grown and probably did some serious damage to the food supply. Of course. And, uh, and, also in the animals who would drink and that it was much more widespread than the lack of drinking water. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interestingly, yeah. I think there's cattle disease. Inter in <laughs> interestingly, uh, that, I think is your point. The first Rashi has several comments on this, which we're not all going to get to today. But just a reminder: I sent the email out. But next week, uh, Leonard will be teaching, not I, in, in here and in, in here. Um, thinking we should be getting. Do you have a? Could you use that laptop? Okay. Um, 
Rashi's first comment on this verse, eventually he'll get to the Naharot and the Agamim and things like that, uh, is, is one of my top five Rashi's of all time. Um, when I was in Monroe uh, and I was teaching the sixth grade religious school class for a while, Metni United Synagogue had a Chidon HaTorah uh, competition, right? All the religious schools, the sixth grade curriculum was teaching the book of Shemot and trying to introduce them to close study of text, including Rashi commentary. And we had a curriculum of like, you know, 36 Rashis that they had to learn and become familiar with. And then there was an end of year competition. And this was one of the Rashis. And what I loved about it, without giving too much away yet, is a, it's a classically formed Rashi and that he gives you the answer. You have to divine the question. And it, and it tells a lovely, it, there's a sermon in this Rashi. And it was wonderful for me to watch the students realize that you could, by just slowing down and reading carefully and curiously, there's a sermon on, on every verse. So I, I hope it, it, it pays off given that introduction. <laughs> um, Alan, do you want to read the Rashi on Amor El Aharon? Amor El Aharon. Shahagin <laughs> Okay, so try to translate. Okay. And said to Moses. To Aaron. To, to Aaron. Right, remember, to Aaron. God said to Moses, yeah. say to Aaron. You're the one who's lifting up the... Yeah, you do it. And, and so I guess the question would be, why why Aaron and not Moshe doing okay. this? Because the river uh, protected Good. Moses. Uh, again, when he was uh, sent in it in the in the uh, in his uh, in his teva, right, and um, and therefore he could not lakach, he could not use his hand. Lakach uh, means to strike. So, uh, and the and, subject of lakach, even though it looks like a an active verb, it's actually a passive verb, is the water itself. So it was not struck. It was not struck by his hand, right, uh, with the blood, and also he didn't. And uh, Moses didn't do the frogs. It was stricken. It was done at the hands of Aaron. So, I uh, good. You kind of divine the question. Rashi is commenting in here. Why does God say to Moses, "Not raise your hand," but why God says Moses tell Aaron to do so? Question is why Aaron, and that happens on the first two plagues. And his answer is is lovely, right? That. This water, which is about to be totally turned upside down, was the matrix in which baby Moshe survived, right? The, the water was gentle to Moshe. The water was kind to Moshe. It's like kind of interestingly anthropomorphizing the Nile River as, a, as, a, as not as a deity, but as, a, as an almost as an animate thing that cushioned and carried and made sure that Moshe was safe. How could Moshe... Be the one to strike it. What's the English, you know, expression? Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't strike the river that 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 held you, right? Um, why the frogs? Then didn't they come from the river as well? Right, right. So the nice idea that that the it's almost imagining a Disney scene where when Moshe is coming down the Nile, that the frogs are all like you know riveting him and protecting him as as, as you go down. So so Moshe has a very intimate bond with the Nile. 
very intimate bond with the frogs, and therefore God is not going to ask. And it's also built into this logic is that Moshe would have done it because he's an Evan Hashem, and this is a chesed from God to not force Moshe to do something that would be extra painful to do. It's also teaching the respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or respect in the sense that um, there, a, a gratitude for having been um, kept alive by those very waters. Uh, comments or reactions to that, then I want to show you something else. Um, Can I just make a joke? Can you make a joke? Yeah. I say if it was happening today, everybody would say that's the environment. That that's why the water is turning that way? Right. Um, so Rosemary said the word respect. Let's look again at the Gur Arya. It's on the screen. Again, Maharal's comment on, on Rashi. So look all the way on the right side of the column on the phrase Lafisha Hegain, the fact it's because Moshe, because the water protected him, the Hule, etc. Lilamedcha Derech Eretz. This is to teach you how to act with Derech Eretz, how to, how to have basic respect and, and great and gratitude. And now he quotes something from Baba Kama from the Talmud. Bira de Shatitmine al Tishdebe Kala. This is basically the Aramaic version of don't bite the hand that feeds you. Let's look at the original. It's now Baba Kama 92B. Amarle Rabba Rava La Rabba. Resh Bet Aleph in the Talmud is a rabbi named Rava. Uh, he was one generation younger than Resh Bet He, who was Rabba. Rava said to Rabba Barmari, Manahana Milte. Where do we know the following phrase from? The Amre Inche, the people say, Bira de Shatitmine lo Tishdebe Kala. Bira, like Be'er, a well that you drink from, right? Don't throw in it a, a stone, right? Don't, don't sully the source of your sustenance. You can, the, the rest of the phrase is not what we're going for. He tries to show you a, uh, a verse where you could derive that um, statement from. That's, by the way, a very uh, common Talmudic trope that they they throw out like a witticism, an aphorism that was common in ancient Babylonia saying, what's the biblical verse for, on which we can hang this, uh, this um, uh, contemporaneous saying? So that's the thing that Gur Arya is quoting to explain uh, Rashi on our verse, that it's, it's, it's not just to be nice to... It's one step further. It's not just to be nice to Moshe to not ask him to do so. It's to teach us, the reader, see, you never, ever smite, you know, bite the hand that feeds you or curse the well from which you drink from or curse the river that was nice to you. Uh, Renee. Um, yeah, so I was similar to what you said about the um, the moral and ethics is what I was thinking that the lesson was there that was a moral and ethical lesson not to to take advantage of the water that gave him it, along the lines of the derek Eretz kind of thing yeah yeah uh good joel you think that's maybe why Moses was punished for hitting the rock with that things like lessons the rock was contained in the first time and he gets it again Interesting. I, I I never connected those two narratives. Mm -hmm. You're saying that the rock sustained him the first time because he spoke to it and it did produce water? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Rashi says something similar in that verse. Um, the, you, the, the classic understanding of what Moshe did wrong there was 
What's that? Upstage and, and, and lost his patience, right? Uh, and, and didn't have faith in God, that didn't have faith that speaking to the rock would be sufficient. Um, but it's an it, it's interesting association. Thank you for that, Joel. Uh, Larry, Diane, then we'll have Alan read some more Rashi. I want to go back to a very brief discussion we had about whether the um, whether the Hebrews were affected by the um, by the water. Yeah, and I'm trying to follow along in in my Lewis Ginsburg Legends of the Jews as we go along. And there's an interesting comment here. He says the transformation of the waters into blood was intended mainly as a punishment for the oppressors, but it was at the same time a source of profit for the oppressed. It gave the Israelites the opportunity of amassing great wealth. The Egyptians paid them large sums for their water. Mm. It goes on from there. And I'm reminded because in the Eser Makot rep, which I've shared with several of you, we have a line, um, they bought water from the Jews. Yeah. So let, you're reading from Legends of the Jews? Yes. Anybody, do people around the table in Zoom know what Legends <clears throat> of the Jews is? I, it's one of the most unbelievable works of of Jewish literature. That, like the Jastrow Dictionary, the fact that it was composed before the digital era is just mind-boggling. It was created by Louis Ginsburg, who was a professor of Talmud and Midrash at JTS through the, I don't know, 1940s or 50s. Um, one of these Eastern European scholars who kind of knew all of rabbinic literature by heart. And when I say all, I mean all. And he basically, we talk about how the Midrash as 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 texture and color to uh, the Torah, he basically took the five books of Moses, and on and at every scene, he creates a single fluid, linked mellifluous narrative, incorporating just about every midrashic tradition that exists. But you can read it beginning to end as if it's one single story, and then on nearly every sentence of the actual book, his footnotes are longer than the book. Because on nearly every sentence of the book, there's a footnote, and you open up the footnote page, and it shows you the 17 different parallel sources from which he took it from. And he just weaves it together. You can read it like a single story. It's it's an incomprehensibly uh, impressive legends of the Jews. And I understand it was just recently uh, added either to Safaria or to one of the other uh, collections. Um, so it's it's a it's a tr- it, it's it's not quite obsolete. It's more amazing in the safari era because you realize how impossible it was to have done that on scraps of paper, right? And to know and to and to and to uh, bring that all together. Barry. Well, the side note brings the question: uh, the land where the Jews were settled was that dependent also on the Nile? Well, I think the midrash that Larry um, read from that book is clearly based on an assumption that the Egyptian water was smitten. And the Israelite water was not, and therefore they could profit off it. Yeah, and there mu- and 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 then my answer Tova before. I know there are midrashim on that. I just don't know exactly where they are, but Louis Ginsburg does. I'll just I'll just add, a, a Ginsburg takes from a midrash which implies that when Egyptians took water from the river, it turned to blood, and when his Israelites did, it wasn't right. bloody. Right. There, there's. I know there's a midrash that says that. It's it's not that when you went out to the the Nile necessarily that you saw blood, but as soon as the Egyptians kind of drew from it, it, it turned bloody in their hands, kind of, and therefore when the Israelites went to draw from it, it stayed watery, or the reverse that it was blood, and then when the in, when the uh, Israelites drew from it, it be, was rendered water again. 
The, Can I just the, add that Diane bought me the seven volume set for my 70th birthday? Wow, lovely. Stevie, then Rick, and then uh, we'll maybe have time for one more Rashi because we started late. So I'll give you an extra five minutes. Go ahead. That is one way to understand the last two words of I.E.C. and Bob, any of that in the wooden vessels and in the stone vessels. Yeah, and that's, I'm so glad you mentioned that because Uncleus translate that that way directly. He, if you look at the uh, Uncleus, um, the last lines of the Uncleus, he dema bechol arad mitzrayim. There was blood in all in Israel. Uvemane aa, uvemane avna. Mane in Aramaic are utensils or vessels, right? So in the wooden and stone vessels, not because otherwise the verses. Why would there be blood on trees and stones? It must be the wooden and stone. Unglus is, is surmising it must be the uh, wooden and stone vessels from which the Egyptians drew the water. Yeah. Uh, Someone's hand up here. Yeah, mine. Okay. Um, the uh, I just wanted to throw in the uh, the darkness. It wasn't in the land of Goshen, right? That's here he goes again, right? So, <laughs> so um, maybe the water on the eastern part of the delta was still okay, and it wasn't so affected. Um, right. Anyway, um, just, I'm just kidding with you, Rick. Uh, Alan, read one Rashi, which will. Uh, which will set us up for the Rashi's that we'll end up reading really in two weeks. Okay. You already have uh, one. More, yeah, one before that. Uh, oh, oh, So this is Rashi's first comment on three successive nouns referring to bodies of water: a nahar, a yor, and an agam. Okay. Heim naharot hamosha heim. Okay, so what does he say? Nahar is? Uh, they're like the rivers that uh, I don't know what that is. The verb means to pull, but here it kind of means to flow. These are flowing waters, right? Ah, flowing waters uh, like, uh, the, like the rivers like our rivers. Like our rivers. It's unclear if Rashi here means French rivers or if he's taking like our meaning the Jewish people's rivers, like like the Jordan and the and and the uh, and the Nach, uh, the Nachalim in Israel. But he says, okay, the first thing that 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 we're referring to here is the actual um, rivers in the ground that flow. Uh, start reading the next one, but we're not going to finish it. What's Like, just like. I think I've seen um, you may have not if you uh, look in the Friday night Sidur when we get to the the um, we don't repeat the Friday night Amidah but we sing Magena Vote and those two paragraphs and sometimes that is referred to as Me'ain Sheva right like kind of like a repetition of all seven blessings why the word Ke'ain and Me'ain means like I don't remember I don't know if it's actually connected to Ayin or not but it just means just like yeah mm. Yorehem. Yorehem. Hem. Rechot. Nigarim. Asuyot. Bidayadam. Misfat. Okay. I've got like a printing error that goes likely like the letters and it goes through there so I can see it. Misfat. Misfat and our harvest. Okay. Pause there. We'll end there, but see if you could translate that. So if a Nahar is basically a river. 
What, according to Rashi, is a yor here? It's uh, waters. What's a brecha? A swimming pool. A pool, right? Like a a a man-made a man-made collection of water and nigarim. If you're unclear what the word nigarim is, you're in good company because it's not a very common uh, word, at least in this context. Let me show you on the screen. What? Um, so this is a more of a rabbinic Hebrew word than a biblical Hebrew word. Look at the, this is um, Jashua and Nagar. Uh, I know that root from camp. Nagarut is woodworking, right? But why is Nagarut carpentry, right? Because uh, the root Nagar means to carry along or to roll, also to scrape or to saw. That is the woodworking version of it. And then if you look up here, Nigar means to be conducted in gutters, to be, what's that? Is the N word. Yeah. <laughs> no. God forbid. To be stored up, right? So the root, which we think of as woodworking, also has to do with collections of things. It could be animals in a pen, as you see here, or it could mean waters in some kind of a reservoir. All right? Or canals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, or canals. Yeah. But like man made. Yeah. Correct. It would be man made, made at the hands of. Misfatana or lesadot. What does that mean? What's a safa? Language or lips. Lips from the edge of the river to the fields. So we'll, one second, um, Toba, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up the Rashi there next time. But basically saying a Nahar is a river and a Yaor is the, is the, the man-made tributaries or canals or pools that are drawn from the river that connect the water source to the fields. Toba, last comment? Yeah, um, I'm just wondering if uh, in this context, what Nahar is referring to since there's only one Nile is the Delta and the multiple branches of the Nile right. that in fact would have been the area of Egypt where the Hebrews were living. Meaning why is it plural? Is that what you're asking? Why is it plural? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or how can you understand how the rivers that flow? Yeah, yeah. What rivers is one river, but in the Delta there's actually multiple rivers. Right, right. I think that it might be where they've drawn water out to the fields or to a storage facility that's yeah, man-made, that's but that's the next one. Ends up flowing on its own back towards the, the Nile, or Wadi, or whatever. That's what they describe in the next one. Oh, so the tributaries. Yeah. Okay, so a reminder: next week we'll meet in here. Leonard will be teaching. Two weeks, I'm back, and we'll be picking up in the middle of that Rashi. Uh, have a good day, everyone. Kol early Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.